The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Another hot dog? You're ridiculous. Hi, Paul here from the Third Men Podcast, wishing you all a very happy summer. I'm reporting to you live from James and my summer vacations. I am happy to report that the sun is still shining, the earth is still inevitably hurtling toward doom, and in case you were wondering, your lucky numbers this week are 7, 17, and 85. Well, that brings us to... Oh, I couldn't! Another hamburger? Ridiculous! Alright, listen, guys. I have to go back into the pool here. I'm getting shouted for... Oh, my family is so silly! Uh, but I thought I would introduce for you the first in our series of best of episodes this summer. I know, Ben Blackwell said they were bullshit. Maybe he's right, but I think they're kind of fun. And this first best of episode is definitely fun for me and James because, as listeners to the podcast know, after we do an album analysis and review, James and I rate the record. Well, James and I can never actually remember what we've rated anything. And in fact, it's become kind of a running game between the two of us to see if we could ever actually pick out what ratings we gave an album and if that rating has changed at all since. Uh, to be honest, there's no winner in that game. Only losers. So anyway, enjoy this. This is going to be every single rating we've ever given an album. And we want to hear from you. Let us know what you would rate these albums. Head to our social media pages. Send us an email. Drop us a line. There's still the tag at the end of the episode where you can find all that information about how to do so. But we want to know what you would rate these different records. We've got White Stripes records. We've got Jack White solo records. We've got Tours records. We've got Dead Weather records. We've got so much here. So check it out. We hope you enjoy this. And I'm gonna get back to the pool. Oh, you silly gooses. Here I come.
This is the first ever episode of the yeah. Third Men podcast, the Jack White podcast. I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I am your other co-host, James Kaminsky. James and I have been Jack White fans for, what, about 15 years now or so? Something like that, yeah. First, first gen, if you could call us that, and I don't think you can. No, you can't. Um, no. But we're, we're pretty close. We started following him uh, pretty early in his career. And by early, I mean right when he got popular, but, you know. So, yeah. So, like, first and a half gen. We are going to be doing an album analysis and review of the debut album, The White Stripes, by The White Stripes. One of uh, my favorite albums, actually. Yeah, it's a it's an album that is uh, is really Jack at his most raw. It kind of captures the spirit of his early career in a way n- no other album really does. Uh, and it, as we'll talk about it, it, was, it kind of serves as the template for his entire uh, discography up to this point. So we're going to go ahead and give this album a rating. James, you're up first, and you want to explain the rating system for us? Yeah, we're coming up with a completely arbitrary rating system because we both are such big fans. I don't think we're ever going to dip below six or something like that. I do think that we should have a not our favorite, like it, love it kind of deal. Brought to you by Cold Stone Creamery. Anyway, so it's out of three, as Jack White would have. If I were to give this a rating out of three, I would probably give it two men out of three. <laughs> two men out of three from Jimmy the Exploder. If I had to give this album a rating, I would have to give it a 2.5. Okay. Right. I I like it. I'm on the verge. I love it for its historical context, but it's not – out of all Jack's catalog, it's not my first pull, but I do like it a lot. Yeah, I can see that. So yeah, two and a half men. Not bad. Two and a half men. And that is our first topic, The White Stripes. Today, we are going to be discussing the history behind White Blood Cells, uh, the 2001 White Stripes album. One of my favorites. The reception was glowing. So you can get a, um, a sign of the times of the, the mystery of the White Stripes. In this Rolling Stone article, they write, Jack and Meg White, allegedly brother and sister, look like they haven't been out of their apartment in six years. <laughs> uh, they say also, Meg bashes out a supersized Sasquatch beat on a cheap trap set, <laughs> while Jack strangles his electric guitar and yelps tales of puppy love and insect inspection with snot-nosed glee. So, I mean, really the ultimate reception of this album is fell in love with a girl, runaway single, and then mm-hmm. Jack takes this album from Sympathy and puts it out with Richard Branson and uh, Virgin right. under the V2 yeah, label. V2. And this is the this is the album that breaks away from that homegrown Sympathy for the Record Industry streak. From here on, this is the thing that made Third Man Records possible. To celebrate the release, they played the Gold Dollar. That's right. They had a party for it. They talk about it in that Candy Colored Blues. Uh, They played the Magic Bag and they played the Magic Stick. 
Make had said that they were going to make the entrance fee something red and white for the gold dollar, and Jack had added, but we haven't talked about how that would actually work out, because there are other bands on the bill, and they need to get paid money. (laughs) (laughs) Also, to be pointed out here, Sympathy for the Record Industry's distribution was super unreliable, so DJs, in order to get this album and review it, actually had to go out and buy their own copies. They would rather do that than wait around for Long Gone to get to sending them promo copies. So do do we want to give it our rating? Yeah, let's give it a rating. All right. So if you're not familiar, we pretty much like all of his albums. So we <laughs> decided to forego the, the star rating because, you know, everything would be high. So we decided to do out of three men. So uh, do you want to give it a rating? Yes, I, I will do that. I will also preface this by saying I have fond memories of listening to this album I really, I love it. I think Elephant was the first one that I ever felt was like mine, but this one, it was the first record I had heard when it was coming out at the time. So I really do have, I love it a lot for that reason. And also I have a good memory of my one and only radio show in college. I played some songs from this album and on the wall was the album cover just staring at me because somebody had pasted it up in the uh, recording booth. So I have good memories of this album. I love it a lot. I am going to have to give this one a 2.5 men out of three. Oh, Paul's second 2.5 men. Yes, because there are Stripes albums I like more than it, but it's significant in a lot of ways. I I love it in a lot of places. 2.5. All right. Solid. Uh, Yeah, my my first introduction to the album was basically through popular media, you know, MTV. I used to wake up in the morning and watch music videos on MTV and VH1. The Lego video was on there. And, you know, I was a kid, so I was just like, yeah, Legos. And then the song was also awesome. (laughs) So that was my first real introduction to this album. So... I'm going to give it three three men. I'm going to give it three men. Three men. Out of three. It's a solid album. Yeah. It's good rating. Uh, This is a selection that I go to, and this is is definitely one of them. So... I'm keeping my threes in my quiver. All right. I got them ready to fire at two albums in particular. Oh, I, I can think of at least one. We're going to move on to uh, to our next segment. So, James, I hear tell that you have something pretty cool in store for us tonight. Today's topic, we're going back to our roots of album analysis. Uh, All those years ago. <laughs> uh, we're going to be discussing... Whorehound, the Dead Weathers debut album from 2009. Aw, oh, sweet. We're going to spit some Whorehound at you. The album was engineered by Vance Powell. If you don't know him, he was originally a member of Whirlwind Heat, which is super interesting. Oh, yeah. And he does a lot of mixing and stuff for Third Man. Yes, he does. He's engineered so many of his albums, including Blunderbuss, Rome, Sea of Cowards, 
Karen Elson's The Ghost Who Walks, Another Way to Die, and The Conquest singles. Wow. He's also mixed Under Great White Northern Lights by The White Stripes and Consolers of the Lonely. The assistant engineer was Joshua V. Smith. Yeah, another, another f- familiar face. Correct. Will There Be Enough Water was engineered by Philip J. Harvey. It was mixed by Jack White and Vance Powell. And Treat Me Like Your Mother appeared as downloadable content on Rock Band, along with Hanging from the Heavens, No Hassle Night, to coincide with the release of the album. Oh, wow. That's cool. So it looks like it actually did really well. It was uh, Billboard Top 200. It peaked at number six. That's pretty good. Yeah. And it it was a, uh, it hit number one in the top alternative Billboard albums, number two in top rock albums, and number one in top tastemaker albums. So that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. And in the UK, Jack's star power continues to to shine it uh peaked at number 14 not not as high as the u.s but still still a respectable debut for a new band yeah if you think about the time there there wasn't a lot of rock coming out at the time yeah Um, yeah some some interesting stuff i found they were already recording the second album in these last sessions so sea of cowards already underway jack white had said we had just finished recording three new songs yesterday and we've written a couple more for the next album Whatever that's going to be, whenever it's going to be, it's already changing. It's already going into something else, and I don't know what's going, where it's going. There's no earthly way of knowing, choosing which direction we are going. I think it sort of feels that way because we didn't talk about how the songs are going to sound or what kind of style the band would have. So this is how the first album sounds. And I love that. I love the idea of, wow, this is what happens when you don't talk about it. You just do it. Wow. He was adrift on the sea, the sea of cowards. They had a full album of material that they had. <laughs> they said they even talked about it for a while, that it would be hilarious to release the second album before the first. <laughs> oh, that's such a Jack White idea. I can't get over it. That's awesome. Well, Paul, that's going to do it for the album Whorehound. So we're going to give it a rating. Ooh. Do you want to explain? <laughs> do you want to explain the rating system, Paul? Yes, our rating system, what we've decided to do in a hilarious fashion is uh, we've decided that we really like all the albums. We're not going to really go out of 10 because it would just be, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10 kind of thing. That's right. What we decided to do was to rate each album out of three men. So one, if we, you know, like the album, two, if we really love the album, and three is if it's one of our favorites, it's a... A, a diamond in the rough or a just a plain old blood diamond uh so that is our rating system and some of you might find that uh, shockingly in common with Coldstone creamery in which case please do not tweet at Coldstone creamery to pay any attention to us whatsoever you heard paul take him out of context tweet at Coldstone creamery hashtag third men cast <laughs> like it love it gotta have it yeah so yeah this this album is a weird album for me because i really I really do like the dead weather and this album after learning about it I you know I've I gave it a little more credit than I had originally given it but it's still it's it's still not my favorite if I was to go with a with a dead weather album I think I'd go with either Sea of Cowards or Dodge and Burn so uh, I'm going to I'm going to give this a a solid two men Good answer Good answer Put a smile on my face Ooh two men you say Two men 
Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a fair assessment, I think. James, I think you and I are pretty close on this. I think for me, Song for Song, Sea of Cowards has more to offer, and as does Dodge and Burn. But I really love this album for what it's trying to do, and I love the moodiness of it. I love songs like Will There Be Enough Water, because they're just kind of these slow plotting things that you don't really get in a lot of Jack White efforts. So it's really unique in that way. I think uh, I would have to give this album as well a two men out of three. James, we are in total agreement this week. I don't, I, you know, I can't explain it. Sometimes these things just happen. That's right. Uh, uh, I had a pony. I named him Lucifer. Paul had a pony. He, too, <laughs> named him Lucifer. And we both gave this pony two men. <laughs> anyway, that'll do it for our rating this week. <laughs> Woo! Rating! That's going to do it for the third men this week. That was a doozy of an episode, Paul. (laughs) And this week, James, a historic uh, moment in third men podcast history, James. A historic moment, yes. An historic moment. uh, The moment in which Jack White... I don't know. Why is it historic? Why is it an historic moment? It is an historic moment because it is the second time we've done a part two episode, James. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, Ah, yes. uh, Yes. And history being made. History being made right uh, right out the gate here. And so last week we began our deep dive into the album Get Behind Me, Satan by the White Stripes. And this week we're going to pick up where we left off and uh, continue to analyze and eventually review said album. Yeah. So we'll... we'll We'll get our diving goggles on. Yeah. Or our swim caps. Sure. We're going to dive right on in. Why not? I, I hope you all had a good week. You know, I had a pretty good week. Without further ado, uh, I think we're going to get back into it, James. Yeah. Let's get let's get back into it, Paul. Previously on Lost. This is a, an audio medium, but you cannot see that I am currently spinning my head around 360. It's very frightening. Uh, we're going to go track by track. 
We're going to review it. We're going to get into a little bit of background here. Uh, there's going to be lots going on. Paul, do you want to tell us what's fact you're smelling? I do. <laughs> so this is in a transitionary period for Jack in the labels department because this is not pre-Third Man. This is pre-Third Man moving to Warner Brothers. Months after this album's released, he's in the studio with Brendan Benson recording Steady As She Goes and stuff. So, like, he's on that precipice of, I'm done with this hyper-minimalist thing, at least for the time being. This new album was sort of different. I, I think it was sort of a, just sort of a purging of a lot of different sort of frustrations and... I think a lot of things to do with the environment of Detroit and the scene we came from. We, you know, we stayed, we lived, we stayed, lived, we still live there, you know. And it's hard to do that. This is via Rolling Stone. Until a couple of months before Satan, I hadn't written anything in a year and a half. Whoa. Mm. I have to ask, have you ever had a Jack sighting? Yes, multiple. You have? Yes. Okay. Paul, I think I'm looking at somebody's webcam. <laughs> Paul, help me. <laughs> He's turning into a cockroach. Now, the conclusion. We have, you know, it entering the charts at number three, and it ranked higher in U.S. charts than previous records, but lower in the U.K. than Elephant. Hmm. So it actually had, it was sort of disproportionate that way. The Blue Orchid single in the U.S. charted at number 43, so not an awesome showing, but charted at number nine in the U.K. and was number one in Canada, which we uh, which we talked about last episode. Hmm. It was a radio hit in the U.S. and the band's second U.K. top 10 hit. My Doorbell was a top 10 hit in the U.K., as was Denial Twist. I don't think they sort of did too much in the sort of pop sense out here, but, you know, you can see if a rocker like Blue Orchid is only hitting 43, mm, is interest waning, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Steady As She Goes would be out not too long after that, and that would chart much higher. So I would say Jack is still a hit maker at this point of his career, Mm -hmm. Uh, but maybe... but. You know, maybe not with the same sort of fervor that the previous two records got him. As of February 2007, Get Behind Me, Satan sold 850,000 units in the United States. That is nothing to sneeze at. That's almost a million records. And I I bet you, with all the re-releases and with uh, a decade having passed since February of 2007, I bet you it's past a million. That's awesome. A million people were like, yeah, the nurse. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Rolling Stone ranked this album as their third best album of that year. Rolling Stone's top album of that year, Kanye West's Late Registration. All right. Yeah, it's a good album. Number two comes the Rolling Stone's A Bigger Bang. Okay. I mean, sure. According to this, Bob Dylan's The Bootleg Series Volume 7, No Direction Home, the soundtrack um, was number three. And actually, uh, Get Behind Me, Satan came in at number four, followed by Bruce Springsteen's Devil and Dust. Oh, okay. Devils and Dust, uh, which is an okay album. Yeah. Um, it, I like the title track of Devils and Dust, but it's a sort of slow plotting acoustic album. Yeah, it, was, it was it was hard to follow the rising. And this is what we got. Yeah. We got Mary J. Blige, Eminem's Curtain Call, another Rolling Stones Rarities album, Neil Diamond and Kate Bush uh, rounding out the top ten there. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of 2005. Mm-hmm. Hey, McCartney, Chaos and Creation came in at number 14. Jack, Jackie beat Jackie Boy beat, beat old Macapants. <laughs> he beetle him. 
It received a Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album in 2006, so another Grammy win for Jack. Awesome. Really cool. Uh, again, from, from Rolling Stone here, there was, a, there was an interesting quote from the Album of the Year thing. Satan is also their boldest record, combining the Stripes' whiplash rock and Jack's passion for vintage blues and country music with a gothic roadhouse tension scored with grand piano and marimba. Jack White's red, white, and black-themed outfits remain, but their albums have exploded loaded into full color. Hmm. I think that's an accurate assessment. This one and Icky Thump are really the two albums that stand apart from the rest of the White Stripes albums as branching out. style kind of gets there, but ultimately not, not in the way that these two albums do. Mm-hmm. In 2006, the album was included in the 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die book, edited by uh, Robert Dimery, which actually had from uh, Stephen Mercier. Yeah. The New York Times said, It's an album so strong and so unexpected that it may change the way people hear all its predecessors. And that's just a start. Listen long enough, and this album might change the way you hear lots of other bands, too. All right. That's a, yeah, that's a strong opinion on that, too. <laughs> yeah, from the New York Times. I mean, it's not, it's not bad. And then Pitchfork said, Even with a generous handful of tracks that easily rank alongside the White Stripes' best work, Get Behind Me Satan remains a confounding record, one that wears its transitional album tag like a heavy peppermint-striped crown. Oof. So not everyone was on board with the new direction, which I think is also something we want to emphasize here. Not everyone was like, oh, cool. You know, a lot of people were expecting, expecting, expecting what came before. And that is definitely not what we got here, except for Blue Orchid being the sort of anomaly song. Mm. And that's the reception, James. Paul, I think I think we should maybe perhaps rank this album. Since I handled the bulk on this episode, why don't we go ahead and have you rate it first? All right. Give us a little background, give us your assessment of the album, and then give us a rating. Okay. Admittedly, this album I bought fresh, I bought new when it came out. I was excited for it. I'd become a jackhead at this point. Yeah, real jackhead. <laughs> Sounds awful. But, you know, I listened to it. I liked it. I remember clearly before buying it, you had actually, you being Paul, had actually uh, <laughs> given me uh, early access to your copy of it. And I listened to it, and I liked it. I didn't love it at the time. I liked my doorbell. I liked Blue Orchid. And that was it. I was on the, I was in the mainstream kick of this. You know, I was in, I was like the people who wanted more of Elephant. Uh, so at the time I didn't like it. Over time though, I grew, my musical tastes broadened. I became more in tune with Jack's work and with his sensibilities and his philosophies and his overall musical sense. And I, I began to like blues more. I began to like lots of things more. And this album became more special to me as time grew on. As we mentioned several times in the first episode of this and this episode, uh, Under Great White Northern Lights definitely helped me become aware of how great this album actually is. So I would say this album for me ranks 2.5. Oh, 2.5. That's pretty high. Yes. Actually. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Jack White albums, uh, only below, uh, consolers of the lonely and icky thump. Wow. Well, that's really awesome. So, this one for me, we've talked about it a lot. It's my favorite White Stripes album. It's possibly my favorite album of all time. And I don't know how to say this other than the ways I've said it before, but I think Jack was ahead of his time here. I think he was ahead of the curve. I think a lot of people in the music crowd particularly listened to this record and it might have influenced a lot of 
his generation of bands to diversify a, a little bit the kinds of music that they were putting out. You could call it a transitional album, and you know, I I think I actually would, but in a, in a really good way because for me, this was the transition from Jack Jack's little room to the world stage a little bit. From here, things kind of got broader. I think I feel like he opened his musical arsenal up much more with this record uh, in, a, in a really good way. And so I feel like this album is what is what gave us Achy Thump and it's what gave us the racks and the weather. And, you know, it allowed him that kind of um, freedom to break from the norm. And I also think it's really beautiful. I think the lyrics are extraordinarily uh, heartfelt and really summarize particularly teenage angst really well or sort of that high schooly kind of young man kind of kind of angst and that's i don't say that to downplay it i say that to emphasize it and to say that there's you know you have to you have to make that kind of music too and like we talked about on the would you fight for my love episode led zeppelin famously did this a bunch you hear songs like your time is going to come and a couple others that have that breakup tone to it and that's a feel that's a valid emotional feeling everyone can relate to so anyway i find this album highly relatable i i find it uh its melodies lovely and it's and its lyrics beautiful and i give this one a three out of three men to the surprise of no one <laughs> fanfare fanfare <Yeah>. confetti <laughs> drops <Wow. Yeah. laughs> uh it's 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 my favorite album uh and and i love it and and don't get me wrong like i love the other white stripes albums too but i just think this one is is uh is really unique so yeah. three out of three men hey pretty good right 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 and it seems to me that it's not my kind i can't be sure if it's yours or mine great time going through this episode and you know i've been really looking forward to doing this episode because it's my favorite album here's an example we're talking about part two of uh, icky thump thumpity thump thump thumpity thump thump look at icky go Thumpity thump thump thumpity thump thump look at it giggle Thumpity thump thump thumpity thump thump over the business of show 
Welcome to part two of our Icky Thump Spectacular. This is spotlighting Icky Thump, the White Stripes' final studio album. Not their final album, I suppose you could count Great White Northern Lights, but their final studio album as a group. And, you know, as we discussed in the last show, I think their most coherent effort um, as a uh, as a fully realized uh, musical force. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, James? I would definitely say. Yeah. It's the last truly new music that we hear from them yes they go out on a on a high note jack had a lot of personal growth on this album he reflected a lot on it he said i find a lot of beauty in the presentation i think over time as the years have gone on that's what i've gotten better at maybe i haven't gotten better at songwriting but i've gotten better at presentation of the song just from a workman's standpoint i've never believed that it's been our job to become the beatles beetle bell uh this band this band is the opposite of that we're an anti-evolving band. When we walk out on stage, we have no idea what we're going to do. We don't even know what the first song is going to be. If we ever become the kind of band that played along to a backing track with a huge light show and set list that we've practiced for three months, we couldn't take any pride in that. It doesn't really become a dangerous proposition at that point. Yeah, I think he's still holding true, at least more or less, you know? To move on to the reception, the album won two Grammys for Best Alternative Album and Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal. Got really positive reviews for the most part. AV Club gave it an A-, BBC gave it a really positive review. They said, at what point does Alternative become mainstream? Six albums in and the White Stripes have a big fat Warner's contract in their pocket and Phil Hyde Park in interviews Jack seems more enamored with his new playmates the Tours. is the end nigh or if the Detroit Blues minimalists still got things to say like all great acts the answer is a bit of both while Icky Thump has plenty of overblown moments it also still contains all the things that made us love them in the first place whether they even survive <laughs> such a sea change to make another album was to be seen we can only hope so Slant gave it a 3.5 out of 5. They weren't as happy with it, but uh, still pretty good. They said it works often brilliantly in the specific terms of the band's formalism, but where it falls short is in the consistency of its songwriting. There's a little fault in the opening three songs, but thereafter the, the songs become increasingly verbose. Loretta Lynn's economy of language, it seems, hasn't stuck with Jack without any of his trademark wit to keep the songs buoyant. I disagree, oh, but... I don't agree with that at all, but yeah. okay. Yeah. Spin gave it three out of five also. They did not like it. Spin Magazine, they called it Noisy, Cranky, the least fun album of their career. Okay. But we, we'll end on a positive note here. NME gave it a four and a half out of five. Icky Thump is brilliant. There's no way around that. We've come to expect nothing less from the White Stripes, but it still sends a jolt down the spine when you hear them at the very apex of their abilities. Some might consider this record a little too eclectic zipping as it does between genres and styles like a red and white magpie but it'll take a monumental effort for any band this year to top it and mm. that surprises me that it's so lukewarm but whatever uh it's it's it never dips below three everybody's like either it's good it's a good white stripes album or it's an amazing white stripes album so regardless it's still good i think spins was the least positive out of all of them lastly iggy thump was used in the new justice league trailer with warner brothers uh ah, they yes. share the rights to the song yes, it was. and also it is it is widely known now in this past year because it came, became a political point in 2016's presidential election when there was an unlicensed promotional usage of seven nation army and uh jack and third man records put out 
icky Trump t-shirts and bumper stickers. Icky Thump having an immigration-based theme kind of helped further the point that he was making. That's going to do it, Paul, for Icky Thump. Well, we first got to rate it, James. We got to rate this album. So we're going to rate it out of three. We have the like it, love it, gotta have it model. James, (laughs) you go first. Oh, Paul, uh, this album is easily in my top albums. Uh, It is easily my favorite White Stripes album of all time. I love this album to death. I have fond memories of listening to it in the car with you for the first time after purchasing it. I think we both purchased it at the same time. Paul, I can't give it any less. Three men. Three out of three men for this album. I, too, will give it a three out of three men. I am just going to front load my rating right there and say that I have fond memories of listening to this one. We saw this tour. Uh, it is when my fandom was in full swing, and it's uh, it was an exciting time to be a White Stripes fan. And I remember listening to this album in the car with you in a parking lot with some with some friends on a uh, on a summer's night, and uh, it was very romantic. <laughs> and uh, I will always uh, I will always think fondly of this album. And, but but honestly, it has some of my favorite Jack songs on it. So three out of three men from me. Fantastic. Fantastic indeed, James. I could talk about this album all day and sometimes just might. But for now, I think it's time for us to move on to our next segment. We'll be going over the Tours album, Broken Boy Soldiers. James, this is our part two episode. We started... This deep dive into the raconteurs last week, and we're back again once more here, James. So last week we talked about the inception of this album, the raconteurs getting, thank you, uh, getting together. And um, the raconteurs, of course, are the, uh, the group that Jack White formed in 2005, late 2005, with... His uh, friend Brendan Benson and um, mm-hmm. f- f- uh, Greenhorn Rhythm Section, Patrick Keeler and Little Jack Lawrence, and uh, they got together uh, really by a lot of happenstance and wound up recording an album together, and uh, that was released in 2006. Yeah, and it's a fantastic album. It's some of uh, Jack's finest and uh, our 
personal introduction to Brandon Benson and and his ilk. So yeah. And last week we covered all of that, and plus we started going into the track-by-track analysis where we talked about Steady As She Goes, which was the band's uh, biggest single and and Jack White's second biggest single as a songwriter. And this week, James, we're going to finish the track-by-track, and uh, we're going to go into a little bit of reception, and we're going to talk about some final thoughts from the group, and we're also going to give the album a rating. So lots to do today, James. Alrighty then. Whoa, yeah, I thought that was where you were going. <laughs> the album charted very, very well. It went to number two in the UK. It went to number seven in the United States. It was number 29 on Rolling Stone's 2006 year-end critics list, and it was number 19 on Spin Magazine's list. It was also nominated for Best Rock Album at the 49th Grammy Awards. It was named Album of the Year by Mojo Magazine. And as of 2008, so that's only two years into its release, the album sold a total of almost a half a million copies. So it's pretty good, pretty successful album. Yeah, definitely. Rolling Stone had said of the album, Expectations were sky high, but the raconteurs exceeded them all. And People Magazine gave the album three and a half stars, making the album the critics' choice of the week. And they commented, Broken Boy Soldiers incorporates just enough weirdness to show that White hasn't completely changed his stripes. I get it. I get the reference they're making. (laughs) So, yeah, the thing was received very well. I have my own recollections of it being received very well by the college crowd. And there was a lot of, I think, last episode we hinted that it was very big in the dude bro contingent. So it, it definitely hit outside of the hipster crowd and sort of hit a general audience a top 40 am style audience you might say Uh, that's definitely true i had all the cheerleaders and football players who happened to be in my portfolio class in my art class in high school when i was the one in charge of putting cds on on the boombox they were (laughs) always really happy that i wasn't putting on adam mazer's music which was regina specter and uh (laughs) bright eyes oh i love regina i love regina too but i don't think these bros were all up into the into the specter or the bright eyes i don't like bright eyes very much to be honest but yeah they weren't into slow dirges about chemotherapy (laughs) it's one guy unfortunately so he went into slow dirges about chemotherapy But yeah, this 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 album definitely had a lot of mass appeal, and uh, James, it, it really changed the lives of particularly Brandon Benson, Jack Lawrence, and Patrick Keeler, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to get into a little bit of their reflection on the album now. Oh, looking in the mirror, unlike those Cantonese vampires. This is via Mojo Magazine. Brendan says this album feels more like a demo to him after refining the songs while spending a year on tour together. Via Uncut, Jack had to say, I have to honestly say that I'm divided totally 50-50 between the Tours and the White Stripes. My brain now has two options for songs that I write. It's a really nice luxury to have as a songwriter. I have so many songs now for another White Stripes record. Meg and I are working on songs during breaks from touring with the Racks. But this band is making me such a better guitar player 
I've taken a 10-year leap in terms of guitar playing, because in the White Stripes, I didn't have time to explore. I had to keep getting back to rhythm guitar to keep the show going. So I think we have the raconteurs to thank for Jack White really becoming that rock god, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, he was already getting there, I think. He would break out into those solos and, and all that. But yeah, this definitely polished him off more, I think working with an actual band with standards and practices (laughs) do you remember when there was that whole jack is god thing for a while Uh, vaguely i i wasn't super cognizant of it so not really but i i vaguely remember that phrase yeah you'll still find that lingering on some youtube commenter lists from older videos some holdovers from that era but that was a very common thing to say the jack is god thing and i think it's because when people saw him solo on this tour much like i did it blew me away i mean i talked on the um the live episode well we talked about this on the listener questions episode seeing him on this tour Mm -hmm. with this album was the thing that really made me a, a super fan Brendan said in the same uncut interview, I look at us like black sheep. I look at us next to see what's happening on the charts, and it doesn't look like it fits. At one point, we were right behind the Red Hot Chili Peppers on the charts, and I thought, how can that be? (laughs) I'm still having a hard time figuring it out. The AV Club asks, how do your other bandmates feel about the time you're committing to the tours? Is there any tension? Jack White says, last night, it looked like Meg White was staring at Little Jack for like 10 minutes, and it wasn't a good stare. (laughs) which is hilarious Patrick Keeler says it was awkward (laughs) Um, like Craig Fox was the the singer guitarist for the Greenhorns for instance we had worked really hard the last you know 10 years and Craig likes the record a lot and he's just happy for us He's working on stuff, and I think it was a way for him to just lay low for a little bit and maybe try out some other avenues for his music, because our band is kind of one-directional, but not in a bad way. I love it. (laughs) So I feel bad for those other greenhorns. How even-keeled. Via the Aquarian quote from Jack, But if you were to ask me what I thought the record sounds like, I don't really know. I haven't gotten my head around it yet. Even live, the songs are changing so much every night. We play that it's turning into a whole different band than when we first started playing. What I can tell you is that nobody said, let's make the band sound like this, or we should sound like that. It has all been off the tops of our heads, and it's changing. It's constantly changing. Maybe that's why he stopped it after Consolers, because there seemed to be a little more homogenizing in Consolers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely possible, and I, I would agree with that assessment of that album. Not that it's officially stopped yet, but it's stopped. Who are we kidding? This is via an interview with Interview Magazine. The interviewer asks, Jack, you were the first to move down to Nashville. What was behind your decision to leave Detroit? Jack says, it's hard to talk about. I've answered the question a lot of times, and I just don't know what to say. I think people have misunderstood my answer. I don't think Detroit has understood my answer. I'd make comments about the scene I was coming from not being very positive anymore for me, and people would take that as me saying the entire metropolitan area of Detroit. I grew up in that city, you know, and I was sort of forced to leave my hometown. I didn't grow up in the suburbs and move into the city and slum it. I lived there my whole life, and that made it very difficult to go, but I couldn't stay anymore. So this is all happening during the time of that first 
Raconteur's album release when they're going around promoting it and talking about it, mm-hmm. um, which I bring up mainly to point out that the AV Club would also interview the band about that, and the AV Club says, you're all living in Nashville now. Was moving there a band decision? Jack White says, no, we all trickled down there one by one somehow. Brendan says, it's definitely convenient, but for me, there were bigger things at play. I really didn't like where I was living. I got robbed a couple times. I was visiting Jack down in Nashville quite a bit, and I really started to like it. Sort of fell in love with it. Jack says, neither of us could function in the Detroit music scene anymore. It was just not healthy. Brendan says, the music or any other scene. It's just so negative in so many ways. So the AV Club followed up with, so you guys are gone for good? Jack says, oh yeah, because of our involvement... Even the Greenhorns' involvement in the Detroit garage rock scene, or whatever you want to call it, I don't think we want to be involved in any more scenes ever again. We've had that experience, and it was a good one, and we've learned a lot from it, and I don't have any need to join into that ever again. It's too counterproductive to writing music and performing to the best of your abilities. It's okay when you're 20 years old, you're getting out there and you're learning, but not when you're 30. Jack White says, In Nashville, self-sabotage is not on the menu. And in hipster culture, self-sabotage is definitely one of the entrees. <laughs> so, that's yeah, where their head's at. It's uh, followed up brunch by a nice avocado-filled... <laughs> Superfood. Yeah, it's avocado-filled with coffee. On a brighter note... Newsweek says, it must be a lot of fun to be in the raconteurs. To which Brendan says, it's a blast. But the toughest part is constantly being referred to as Jack and Company, or Jack and his band, or Jack and Friends, that sort of thing. Which I didn't mind on the first record, but... And then the, the interview asked, followed up with, but because you wrote all the songs with him, Brendan says, yeah, it's just like, you feel a little slighted. Yeah, and I couldn't help but feel the same way when it was coming out. Like, we were obviously Jack White super fans. We still are. But it always felt like Jack White and friends. And I, right. I always felt a little bad for Brendan, who seemed to be the other front man. And I always wanted to be like we love you too and that's why i think we started diving into brendan stuff i think because not only that but because we we knew he had similar tastes and his music was also pretty good and we big paul mccartney fans and obviously he's got a similar sound but i always kind of feel the same way that he's saying like there's these outlets are kind of slighting him the people who are coming to to the show I don't want to go to a raconteur show if there ever is one with a Jack White shirt on. I want to go with a raconteur shirt on or yeah. or even a Jack Lawrence shirt. Like I want to go on with, right. <laughs> with some a Blanche shirt, you know, something like that. You know, That's funny. When we, the one and only time you and I ever saw the stripes, I showed up there in a raconteur <laughs> shirt with Brendan Benson on it. Yeah. But I point this out mainly to and and I agree with you James and and I remember too thinking at the time even you know seeing them live I remember thinking like the people were there for Jack uh, but I don't think there was ever any illusions about that at the front and I don't think it bothered the guys at the front because they were reaping the benefits of mm. that but then you start feeling kind of like well what about me after a while so I get yeah. it 
There was a Pete Townsend interview I heavily pulled from last episode where Pete Townsend is interviewing the raconteurs, but it becomes very clear very early in the interview. Pete feels he's having a conversation with Jack and the others are there. <laughs> uh, particularly, there's one point in the interview where Pete's asking Jack about the stripes and, and then Brendan chimes in. He's like, oh yeah, well, I'm a solo artist. And then Pete like abruptly changes the subject to is like, oh, it's really hot in this trailer. <laughs> and I felt like, ooh, you know, when I was watching it, my stomach was turning a little bit because I was like, "Ah, oh, man, you like, gotta be a d- to Brendan." Yeah, and I feel like some of that animosity—well, I don't want to say animosity, but I feel like some of that frustration can be seen as animosity in some cases. Right. And so I'll, I'll leave with this ominous note. This is via consequence of sound. Brendan says, "You know, of course, Jack was the most publicized thing about the Rackin' Tours, and I think unfortunately he sort of eclipsed the other guys in the band. And that's not him personally. I think the press did that. The press sort of said Jack White and company or Jack White and his band, rarely mentioning the other people who had a huge major part in the music." I'm really proud of my contributions to that band, and it's just a little sad not to be acknowledged for that. Mm. So on that downer note, James, we're going to leave this analysis, and we're just going to give this one a good old rating there. Oh, let's go to the rating, Paul. James, do you want to describe what the rating system is? I sure will. So we like all, I, I think it's safe to say, we like all of jack white and jack white company's albums uh man we just went over calling it jack white and company uh, we like ah! all of, <laughs> we like all of these albums that have been had some touch with jack white in some way so rating it out of 10 doesn't make any sense because we're all gonna put it at like six or seven and above it's not what's the point of the other five points am i right <laughs> uh so we're rating it out of three men because it's third men records all that stuff so we're rating it a one man for like it two men for love it uh three men for gotta have it it's the cold stone creamery system it's foolproof and we're making it happen right here right now we're making history folks you me uh and the rest of this audience we're gonna make this cold stone creamery system happen so the yellow sun is shining on you right now on me yeah steady as she goes give us your rating paul well james I gotta say, I love this album. I have a lot of fond memories of this album. Uh, I remember before its release, finding it on LimeWire and not knowing what any of them were and finding all these tracks and getting really excited about it. And I had them on mixed CDs and, you know, I was... Uh, Jack White and Metallica yeah. <laughs> on LimeWire. Yeah, right. I was 21 when this one came out, so I was having a nice little ball. It was, a, it, it was a golden summer and this album was the soundtrack to that summer it's a singles heavy album it contributed so much to jack white's music and to where he would go after this and i would put this definitely in jack's top three albums he's ever worked on and so uh james i really have no choice here but to give this album a three out of three men Nice. Which I don't say lightly. I don't yeah. say that lightly. I mean, but the last couple I gave threes were Icky Thump, Get Behind Me Satan, and this one. And I think all of those are threes, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's worthy of, of the number. Well done. And you, James. 
I, too, had a musical awakening during this year that it came out, the 2006-2007 era. I was a senior in high school, and I was basically coming into my own person at the time, and you were trickling music down to me from your college music enlightenment, so I was getting stuff from your friends and from your friends' friends and from you and from all different sources, and then I was getting stuff from my own sources and from my friends, so I was coming into all these new bands, and I was just getting into Jack White at the time, like really heavily into Jack White. I was into him already, but you know, we were really starting to pick up speed on this obsession of ours. You know, aside from like the Flaming Lips and Stone Temple Pilots, the Rack and Tours kind of rose to the top for me personally. So I would say that this this does hold a special place in my heart. I do like the as annoying AV Club writers will say, the sophomore release better. <laughs> I like Consolers of the Lonely a little more, but this album is pretty friggin' great, and I love it to death. And it even made you make a, a really cool piece of artwork that I still have a print of to this day that you put on a t-shirt <laughs> and wore That's to right. our first uh, White Stripes concert. So I'm going to say, because of the good memories, because of the nostalgia, and because of just for how friggin' great this album is, I'm going to give it two and a half. Two and a half men. Two and a half! Two Two and a half men, James. A lovely yes. rating. rated this one very highly. James, this week we're doing part two to our episode, which is the album analysis and review of the White Stripes sophomore release, Distill. Part two, or as the Dutch would say, part twee. Okay. Uh, because I just looked up two in Dutch, and it's twee. And Good to know. Dutch, for those of you who don't know, is important because the style movement is a, a Dutch art movement and also the album title of this here White Stripes album. And Paul, I am so excited to get into part twee of this album. Uh, I would love <laughs> to see what new information you've dug up to put into this home that we are here building. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, I'm excited too. And, you know, we were going to try and do this in one episode, but it was just too damn long, James. These kids are just too damn long. Yeah, there's some long boys in there. Um, <laughs> let's get to this episode. Yeah, James, uh, the steel, the style, however you want to pronounce it, and admittedly there are a few ways to do so. I've heard the steel more than anything else, so that's where I'm going with here, but I did see some discussion on our Facebook and Twitter about how exactly you do pronounce this thing. I'm pretty sure it's the steel at this point, and I've heard Jack sort of pronounce it as such, although it varies. This is uh, our family's house. 
we grew up in. And so we do a lot of recording here too. We did our second album, Distill, here at this house. It's notoriously hard to pronounce, or as the Dutch would say, moeilijk et te spreken. Okay. <laughs> At Tanagra. Very good. (laughs) Anyway, however you want to pronounce it, that is the second album by the White Stripes, and it came at a very tender time in the group's development. They were just sort of becoming famous, at least in local circles, and Jack and Meg were at a a crossroads in their own personal relationship. And for those of you who didn't listen to the last episode, we went over the background of what led into the record. We talked about the recording of the record, the cover, the title, things like that. So you want to get to the reception here? Yeah, ik do, Paul. <laughs> let's talk about reception and let's bring this bad boy home. Let's do it. The album release party was held in June of 2000 at the Magic Bag. The same week, the Stripes departed mm-hmm. for a tour of the West Coast. James, the Magic Bag, as you mentioned last episode when we were talking to Cali, it was a popular venue for music at the time, although it wasn't actually in Detroit. It was in one of the northern suburbs. Damn. They explained this in the Vault uh, card, actually. That's how I learned about this. Yeah. In the Vault package, they say that it was for people who were living in the suburbs who didn't want to go to Detroit because they were spooked by it could oh, have right. access to the music uh, from Detroit. So Jack was bringing all that fear with him uh, and singing yeah. Southern Can is <laughs> right. Mine to right. these folks, uh, these fine folks out there. <laughs> yep. Basically, Uh, the band's buzz was growing and suddenly suburbanites were coming to see the stripes at the gold dollar. A Metro Times reported said of the album, it grabs you at first listen and said he thinks back fondly to Jack's quote about it. Quote, we were pretty angry on that first album, but I think that's gone from anger to bitterness. Wow. Wowzers. All right. It's kind of funny. Uh, the subsequent tour, which we'll get into on another show, continued the to keep the ball rolling, where the Stripes cemented their friendships with other bands like uh, Whirlwind Heat and such, and wound up uh, opening for Slater Kinney, which wound up just busting the door open for them in terms of getting all this other exposure and started a lifelong friendship between Jack White and Carrie Brownstein. Hmm. Of... Portlandia fame. It's a little tough to find reviews for this album from the time because, again, they were so niche that no one was really listening to it yet. But Rolling Stone did uh, talk about the album and said it was feisty and clever, and Meg White's drumming is so minimal it's almost funny. Pop Matters did a big write-up at the time. Uh, Destiel is their second release and seems to be kicking up a fair amount of critical acclaim. Even Rolling Stone has touted them as the next big thing. Maybe you'll see them gracing the front cover of your TV guide. Maybe not. They give you music that is stripped down and bare-boned, and yet they have the gifted ability to invoke an amount of power way beyond the constraints of their simplicity. Their best asset lies in the space between the music, not what is played, but what is left out. So I think that that's part of the problem, is that you can't you can't hear it, you know, you have to see it, you have to see what's at stake. I mean, look at these fellas. Look at, look at the, the, the sax player right now. He just hijacked the song. He's on his own trip. The foundation of sound. There is just enough emptiness around for an impeccable gunshot drum beat and a guitar man to assume the total power focus. They know all this. They know they're good. They can move comfortably from the fuzzed-up, freewheeling carnality of Let's Build a Home or Hello Operator and then bring it down to a more candy-striped melodic level, I'm bound to pack it up, or Apple Blossom. Which, again, for all type verbally, is a fine assessment of the, of the group. During that Rolling Stone even said they're the next big thing can we cue in when jack's at bonnaroo saying uh is rolling stone uh responsible for making this music <laughs> we are 
Oh, dear. Via Jack's universal music publishing profile, when the White Stripes started in 1997, no one, least of all Jack, ever experienced that a red, white, and black two-piece band would take hold in the mainstream world. The band's self-titled debut and sophomore effort to steal amassed critical acclaim, but built a passionate underground following. It was the release of 2001's Blood Cells that would thrust the White Stripes onto magazine covers and captivate larger audiences. So we already covered White Blood Cells. James, we'll have to get into the tour surrounding both to steal and White Blood Cells on future shows. Yes, please. And then the last on reception here via the AV Club. By 2011, after 14 years and six albums, the White Stripes were finished. Like the Steel movement coincidentally lasting just as long, the project couldn't realistically sustain itself under its own self-imposed aesthetic and artistic restraints. I think that's kind of a poetic cap to this, James. The Steel movement itself and the White Stripes lasting the same amount of years. Wow, that's super interesting. Well, I mean, if Jack had his way, he'd, he'd be keeping the White Stripes going. So he says. So James, we'll talk a little bit about promotion here. Jack and Meg made their TV debut on May 28, 2000 in advance of the album release. The following June, they played Apple Blossom and Death Letter Blues on Backstage Pass. We talked about that a little bit last episode mm-hmm. and uh, embarked on a major tour to support it. And James, that is going to bring us to our rating. Oh, nice. Yeah, let's get to it. So every time we do an album analysis and review, we give the album uh, a rating. And because me and Paul love pretty much every album Jack White has ever done, it wouldn't make sense to rate it out of 10 or 5 or whatever, because we'd always be giving it, you know, a 7 to a 10, you know, in that range. It would be kind of meaningless. So what we've decided to do instead is, uh, is give it a very... Jack White themed rating system of out of three, out of three men, mm-hmm. one man, meaning we liked it, two men, meaning we loved it, and three men, meaning we've got to have it because <laughs> this is the Cold Stone Creamery oh system. Basically, we'll give a little uh, response to what we feel about the album and uh, and then we'll give it a rating out of three men. So, Paul, what, what, what do you got for me? You know me? I can go. Yeah, why don't you go? All right. Yeah. Uh, this one is one of my favorite records they ever made. I love this album. I think it's the most White Stripes record they ever made. It is a little disjointed, uh, to be honest. It's Jack in crisis, you know? His marriage is ending. His overly simple style is starting to feel like a needless gimmick, but he has also holding on to these gimmicks and trying to reinforce them because I think he's not sure what to do. Uh, a lot of the songs revolve around frustration and pain and nostalgia, but his songwriting takes leaps and bounds in this period, I think because of the pain. And researching the album got me thinking of the White Stripes studio albums as essentially two plays, right? So the first play is pre-fame. The White Stripes, mm-hmm. to Steel, and Blood Cells. It's a three-act structure. You define your purpose, then you lose your purpose, then you regain it and either prevail or fail. Well, with the first album, Jack and Meg set their purpose and define themselves. Pared down, raw, to Steel is them on their journey, but they're losing themselves a bit. It's an identity crisis and a crisis of confidence in a lot of ways. Though I think through that crisis comes the truth of who that band really is, and they then cement themselves and define it with blood cells in Act 3. And then the second play is post-fame. Elephant is the definition Mm. album. It defined everything they had learned to that point and maybe shows them at the top of their game. Then you get Satan. It's confused. It's sad. It's angry. And it shows you the kind of identity crisis we saw into Steel. Of course, though, through that terror comes the reaffirmation of purpose and you end on Icky Thump, which is, is probably their the strongest album they ever made. So 
look, the the second act in a play is usually the most compelling one, and in this case, I happen to agree. I think the steal of those first three albums is probably my favorite, even over Blood Cells. So, James, I have to go. I think I'm going to have to give this album a three out of three men. Oh, very nice. I think it's a perfect three. I think it's a. I think it's. This is the White Stripes. This album is the White Stripes. All right, that's an interesting way of putting it, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't have ever put that together, but going based off that, yeah, this is, forgive the pun, but a distillation of, of what the White Stripes is all about and is blues, it's angry rock, it's garagey, it's everything that the White Stripes' first album wanted to be, but yes. couldn't be yet. Yeah. And I think that they had finally found what they were trying to do with this album and i've always appreciated it i've always appreciated it more than the self-titled album and i always thought of it as a, a pair with you know I, I didn't i never thought of it the first three albums being uh, together i always thought of the first album and to style being uh, a pair that you mm-hmm. you don't separate you know and when i bought the first album i also bought the style because that's just what they looked similar, they felt similar, the sound was similar, and they were both about a half hour, you know? (laughs) Um, It's a good thesis statement for The White Stripes. It's presenting, you know, The White Stripes' first album is their attention grabber, and then The Style is their thesis statement. Um, And then the rest of their albums are, you know, the rest of the the research and paper (laughs) into what they're trying to do. We're both making very weird... metaphors out of this but i always liked it i always thought it was great not my favorite by any means i prefer blood cells over this i prefer elephant over this i actually prefer pretty much all their other albums except for self-titled over this really but i acknowledge its importance and i love most of the songs on this album so i'm gonna have to give it a solid two men two men Two men it is. Two men. Wow. I that's interesting. I yeah, I don't know. I know you've always you've always had more of an affection for Blood Cells than I. I think it's cuz Blood Cells is just so played out for me at this point. We know those songs so much. I don't know. I, I, I but that's interesting you say that. And and the pairing thing absolutely. Yeah, totally. This one mm. of the first Yeah. This is just a better version of the first album in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's the Spider-Man 2 with Tobey <laughs> Maguire to the Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire. The same thing, but better. Well, we're back in school again I think that's been a great uh, rating there, uh, outing for us. And that's it. That's the steal. That's the style. I'm never going to go where you want me to go, because I got a feeling that you just don't know. And you can listen up if you want to hear. And if you can't stand it, then right here. James, we are on part three 
of our three-part Boarding House Reach coverage, the end of the line, the conclusion of our Boarding House Reach epic, James. We've only ever done one other three-parter in the past. Yes, and Lord knows we told you it would be two parts, Yep, and it's not. Well, it's actually, three, but the best... The Lord did originally say that it was just the one part. Oh, good. <laughs> so we're doubly liars, but... That's okay, because the best things come in threes, as Jack White would say. I mean, there's three birds fighting out in the yard right mm-hmm. now, yep. and I don't know what it means. This is our, our third part of the Boarding House Reach thing. Did you already say that? I did. Okay, well, yep. I said it again, and you I'll said, say it a third time, yep. because why not? Yeah, so this episode, James, we're going to be covering a lot of ground. We've got so mm-hmm. many different things. We, we've got ground we neglected to cover last time, and then we have some new ground right. we're going to forge ahead with. This is sort of a scattered effect of... <laughs> Boarding house reach leftovers, you know, the stuff that we didn't have time for in the four hours of previous episode. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, More fan reviews in this episode, Paul. Mm. We're going to have our actual reviews. Our own uh, personal reviews. Yeah, which we will uh, rate the the album on our patented third men's scale. Mm -hmm. Paul, let's jump into album reception. All right, let's do it. It's dirty. Oh, it's no. dirty. Oh, no. Not a dirty reception. Paul, no. Initial reviews from this album are not kind. Mojo gave the album three stars. Quote, seeking reinvention, Jack White channels his inner funkmeister in an uneven but eventful quest for new directions. White's first two solo albums, 2012's Blunderbuss and 2014's Lazaretto, ab- abandoned many of the strictures that had inspired the stripes. But while Jack was expanding his palette beyond red, white, and black... There was also a sense that he was often painting within the lines, his eccentricities submerged. Those albums were solid, occasionally brilliant, but a certain wildness, a kink. Kings? No, the kinks. Kinks with a K at the end, the kinka. Kinks. Was conspicuous by its absence. For his third solo turn, however, White has again relocated himself to those uncomfortable positions, turning his creative process inside out, songs mostly written incognito in a nondescript Nashville apartment recorded in unfamiliar cities and featuring musicians he'd never worked with before, many hailing from a hip-hop universe far removed from the garage rock scene that birthed him. The resulting album pushes White in unexpected directions, with little in his back catalog to prepare listeners for what follows. Oof. It's different. People are afraid of different. Yep. Via the line of best reach. With all that said, the production on Boarding House Reach is damn near flawless. But it's the sound of an artist with too many ideas and not enough time in the day to actually sort these ideas out as he presents in the studio. For longtime White fans, Boarding House Reach is both an invigorating listen and a pastiche of all his greatest work, twirled up into a fastball and delivered at record speeds. But perhaps fans should be thankful for such a mess of an album. Sure, it's not White's best work, nor is it a breakthrough album of any sort. Instead, it's a late career ugh, It's a late career release that still burns with the same passion and fury as any of his solo releases or those with his supergroup The Dead Weather. It's a star-studded album swirling with perplex ideas often hitting the nail on the head, at times completely missing the nail. Much like the bouncy baseline on Respect Commander, Boarding House Reach's overall flow conceptually and creatively is at times unsure and brilliant all at once. This is no album of the year contender, nor will it rank too highly on White's saggish discography. Saggish. F*** you. Instead, it's 13 songs of creative madness. 
Jack White may not be as relevant as he once was, but his ambition is just as strong 20 years on. That's more than most can say. As far as negative reviews go, that one was not bad. Uh, via slant, almost everything else on Boarding House Beach blurs together into a, tr- a trippy, disorienting, futuristic soundscape. There are plenty of recognizable genre signifiers heard throughout. Funky clavinet, hip-hop drums, White's own piercing guitar, pyrotechnics, but they're all blended together in an almost alien fashion, giving its scarcity of melodic hooks, not to mention actual singing. The album derives excitement from its jagged grooves and constantly mutating electronic flourishes. The creative editing that made the sonic collages feasible was facilitated by White's first-ever dalliance with Pro Tools, once a blasphemous proposition for a notorious analog fetishist. Mm. And then I have a couple quotes here of Jack reflecting on the sound of the album. This is a quote from Jack. I've always tried to do something different than what I've done before, even when I was in the White Stripes, but it was hard for people to tell there was anything different between, say, the hardest button to button and let's shake hands. To them, it was all rock and roll, but actually, those were incredibly different ways of attacking music. It's a lot easier to hear on this album, for sure. My friends were saying to me, I love it, but how are you going to play that live? And that used to be my biggest concern. I need to be able to make this sound live. This time I didn't care if I could reproduce it live. Uh, And this is the interviewer. Some time ago I asked if your songs were about your private life then, and you said that you had a reservoir of songs that you were recording years after you wrote them. Have you exhausted that backlog yet? Jack says, I wish I could just sit down and write about things that happen to me and straight up tell people what it is. It doesn't happen very often to me. I like to write about imaginary characters, about other people. It's just a lot more interesting. When I think about my own problems, I'm just like, eh, what do I want to think about that for the next 20 years for every time I sing this song? It's way more interesting for me to push myself out of my own scenario, which someone's therapist should probably point out jack those characters are you (laughs) (laughs) and then this is the the final thing i have here is jack reflecting on how he runs a studio with these guys via the la times it wasn't like the old star trek where there was a hero captain kirk who told everybody what to do he explained you have received your orders you will obey my orders we'll be charged with mutiny can i do for you jim i said give me the brandy i said beam me aboard I said Queen to Queen's level three. We have no time for chess problems. Beam me aboard. I'm following your orders, Captain. Queen to Queen's level three. I'm the captain! Don't you understand? I'm captain of the ship! Captain Picard says, Someone give me options! That's the way to captain a ship! And with that, James, I leave us. Well, it's been a beautiful boarding house, but let's say we give this boarding house a rating. Oh, dear. All right, James, do you want to explain our system? Yeah, I'll explain our system. We both like most of what Jack White does, uh, if not all. And uh, and Boarding House Reach is no, was, is no outlier in there. So uh, what we do is we rate albums out of three men. One man being we like it. Two men being we love it. Three men mm. being we've got to have it. It's the Cold Stone Creamery system. And James won't st- let this go. Uh, we are sticking to it. Uh, so we are rating out of three men. Obviously, you could throw in a half man if you want to. Yeah, you could throw in a half man. But that's our system. So instead of doing it out of ten, uh, we're doing it out of three. So that's that's our system. Well, James, do you want to go first? Do you want to rate this one first? Do you want to be brave? Yeah. Step into those waters? Hell yeah, Bob.
this album is weird. It's wild. It's different. It's just left of ordinary. I struggle with it. I battle with it. And you know what? That is, <laughs> you gotta fight it. That's Pick a exact- fight with it and win the fight. <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of what I love about this album. And you know what? This is one that has, has definitely taken some time for me to learn to love. And from the listening party to now, I have listened to this album a good ten times through. And I love it every single time. There isn't a single song that I really skip, aside from Connected by Love, which I skip a little bit every now and then. I think that's just because I've heard it too much. Highlights of the album, I've I've obviously gone over, get into the Mineshaft, uh, fantastic song, Everything You've Ever Learned, fantastic song, Hyper Misophionic, fantastic song. I rank this above Blunderbuss, as sacrilegious yeah. as that is. I would say this album, to me, is a solid... Two men out of three. It's a two out of three. I think I gave the self-titled like a one out of three. I feel like I'm putting this album before some other prominent Jack work. I really like this album. Well, James, we were talking the other day off mic, and you had said that you like this one more than Blunderbuss, and I agree. I think song for song... This one has more memorable tracks than Blunderbuss, if we're really going to get in there. I think the epitome for me of Jack stuff is really like Icky Thump Lazaretto. Mm. My favorite, obviously, is Get Behind Me Satan for an emotional reason. But like as far as like what I feel like his epitome is, Icky Thump at Lazaretto, that's kind of it. That said, I really like this album. It hasn't worn on me yet. I think there's a lot of great tracks on it. A lot of really strong efforts in the mix it's a challenging one because it's it is so different and it's so not what we were expecting and the live versions kind of colored it for me a little bit because i really didn't think they did work live um except for uh, connected by love which i thought worked great but my favorite tracks on this don't really work live and we'll kind of get to that in, a, in another episode but i don't know it's it's this one fills me with a lot of complicated emotions but i think what it boils down to for me right now is my joy that we have a new jack white album hmm. and i'm so happy that we have another jack white album that i'm trying not to let that color my perception of the overall record but corporations rad and i station zebra of made me feel great and getting the mine shaft is really good and respect commander when i first heard that one i liked it a lot but it's it's it is not my favorite i like it a great deal i think i'm prepared to give this one a 2.25 Whoa, surprising i thought you were gonna go higher than i actually and so that's why i was surprised when you said a solid two because I would rate this one above a solid two. Like, I think just on a pure, like, audacity level, like, I respect what it's trying to do so much. I almost give it the benefit of the doubt. I also think this is the last Jedi of Jack White albums. Okay, yeah. Um, this is the one that, much like The Last Jedi, I like more out of spite because the message of this album to me is burn it all down. Burn down the past. Kill your idols. My idols walk next to me, I look up, and then they fade away. Burn it down. Make something new. That's the message of Last Jedi. Burn it all down. The past is dead. But Luke's milking a weird alien. This bodega man is the star now. And so is the guy that was drunk in the Ex Machina movie. John Bodega. (laughs) 
The point of that film is we have to make something new to move forward in our lives, James. And we can't be waiting around, but Han Solo, oh, God. He's dead. (laughs) 2.25. This album, the attempt is to murder the past with extreme prejudice. And I respect that. And that's where I land on it. Fantastic. James. (laughs) James, I learned so much about my own inner thoughts on Last Jedi tonight. Luke's milking things. Han Solo is the worst. Let's murder our friends and raise up our enemies. Uh, Boarding House Reach. Fantastic album. Let's say we get into some more fan reviews, shall we? Let's do it, James. Hey, James, Paul, it's Dean Haspiel. Thanks for asking me to talk briefly about Jack White's new album, Boarding House Reach, which I wasn't necessarily going to get. I had kind of, unfortunately, written off Jack White as kind of repeating himself. I mean, I really love what he did with the White Stripes, and I loved his first couple of albums. And I was like, okay, I, I got it now. I, I get what he does. And it's beautiful. He's an amazing guitarist, and he respects the blues and, and rock and roll. And, and, you know, he's amazing. But again, as I get older, I'm like, okay, I, I, I got it. But I decided to take a chance, I guess, on the new album because I'd heard some things about it, that he had returned to kind of recording in a more bare-bones, nuts-and-bolts style. I, I think he even used equipment from when he first recorded when he was younger, and I like that kind of sound. I remember uh, Sly Stone used to kind of bend the will of those magnetic tapes back in the day through nefarious means, and it, what would happen is it would, uh, there, I guess there's a few tracks you can record on magnetic tape, and, and he would kind to record over and over, record, erase, record, erase, until finally it kind of inadvertently evolved that sound into this like thick, syrupy funk. And I really like that kind of sound. And I'm not saying that that's what Jack White did here, but he did use old tools, uh, limited tools. And that's the kind of stuff that I like to create with as well, myself. And in listening to the album, I mean, it starts off beautifully and it kind of goes into like different, it's serpentines and different kinds of music and songs. Some of it is evocative of early Prince, like the Dirty Mind era, when critics were calling Prince, uh, what was it? It was a black craftwork, which I always loved that that idea that there was a black craftwork and it was Prince. And it also reminds me a little bit of Funkadelic, you know, uh, before they were Parliament Funkadelic, kind of this like hazy, woozy tunes. And also, like, the, I think my favorite song on the album is Get in the Mineshaft, which is kind of reminds me a little bit of the best of Beck or the best Beck song Beck never did, that kind of a thing. And it's just, it's a beautiful album. And that's another thing. It's an album. I don't know if it necessarily has standout songs. I mean, there are some some songs I I return to more than others, but that's what happens with albums. But you kind of have to listen to the whole album. And I really love that about this new work that Jack White did. So yeah, I highly recommend it. I've been playing a lot in the studio and I hope other folks get to hear it too, because I think Jack White's going into a really cool, honest direction. Thanks a lot, guys. What's done is done I just can't find it no more So I'm walking downtown to the store And I'm buying a gun This just ain't no fun 
my life has become a bore Pacing back and forth on the floor Thinking of someone Why do I feel that nothing is real appreciate it thank you to emmy award-winning artist dean haspiel for providing his review that was special huh that was something else yeah we didn't expect that yeah now we've had a grammy award winner and an emmy award winner and a tommy award winner uh so is that our own private little egot yes we have it is our egon (laughs) it's the egon awards anyway paul James, we're back for part two of our Sea of Cowards Spectacular, the sophomore release by the Dead Weather, and we're just so excited. If you haven't checked it out yet, check out episode 81 of the podcast where we did part one, and we covered, oh, background, James, and we covered the actual recording and the release we got to a lot, actually. It was a, that was quite a long one. But what we didn't get to is the track by track. We actually started it with track one, Blue Blood Blues. And we're going to get through the rest of the track by track today. And then we are also going to get into oh, some reception of the album, some reflection Ooh, upon the album. I like a and, good reception. I got my Sunday best on. Go to that reception. Yeah. Well, that's good because you're going to need it. And uh, we're gonna rate, <laughs> and we're gonna rate the album too. Isn't that isn't that fun? Uh, we're gonna rate yeah. it. We're gonna give the album a rating. We should probably start writing down what we're rating these things because I can't remember mm, any of them. No, no, no. We never need to go back to it. <laughs> James, let's get into some reception. Uh, reaction to this album was generally positive. The album debuted uh, on the Billboard Top 200 at number five and uh, number three on the top rock albums. It has, at the time of this writing in September 2015, uh, sold more than 171,000 copies in the U.S., which is uh, no small thing. Uh, it's That's pretty good showing for a Jack release that doesn't have Jack White or the White Stripes in the title. I would say so. Sea of Cowards ranked number 11 on Rolling Stone's 30 Best Albums of 2010. Other notables on that list, Yay Sayers' Odd Blood, great album if you've never heard that one. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Neil Young's Les Noise, M.I.A.'s Maya, also extremely good. Kid Rock's Born Free, a Black Keys album, <laughs> LCD Sound Systems, This Is Happening, also very good. Robert Plant's Band of Joy and Drake's Thank Me Later, along with Vampire Weekend, uh, releases from Arcade Fire, Elton John, Leon Russell, and James, do you want to guess what the number one album ranked by Rolling Stone in 2010 was? I'm going to go ahead and guess that it is Fergie. Yeah, it's Fergie. The Archduke Ferdinand. Uh, it is Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Again with the Kanye West. Yeah, he really made that chart great again. This is via the Rolling Stone article. This isn't so much an LP as it is a rush of metallic blues spasms and the best excessive rock fun of the year. Jack White is the backseat guy. 
a singing drummer, but he leads by example. His bottom-like force propels the zigzagging guitars and Alison Mosshart's gothic siren incantations. Upon its initial release on May 11th, Rolling Stone's David Frick gave the album four and a half out of five stars, saying, technically, these 11 tracks are songs with titles and hooks. The... <laughs> how this review started the effect though is more like a precisely arranged parade of spasms blasted at you in a kind of oral IMAX last year's whorehound had the same feral air but the moving parts on Sea of Cowards the distortion on Fertitta's guitar riffs and Die by the Drop and the clang of White's pie plate cymbal crashes in Hustle and Cuss his and Mosshart's incantory bursts and lost soul harmonies come faster, meaner, and fatter. There are more single-worthy tunes on White's records with the raconteurs in the White Stripes. He prefers his blues with limits, but with this band's but with this band, White lets himself go over the top. Don't be too cool to go along with him, says Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, I mean, that's that's a positive review, <laughs> albeit yeah, a, a little I backhanded. Guess. It's it's positive. Their journalism is. Top tier. Yeah. Excess words. Yeah. Um, according to Billboard magazine, the grinding blues that drives tracks like Hustle and Cuss and Gasoline take the dead weather to a new level of intensity. This one had four out of five stars on M- on NME. Uh, Entertainment Weekly said it was 35 minutes of furious guitar solos and demonic howls, and NPR reviewed the record as follows. Jack White has long found a way to to do virtually anything he wants in music. As a label executive in charge of Third Man Records, he's never pressed a CD. Not true, I don't think. Opting instead for vinyl and digital-only releases. Uh, As a singer of the godzillion-selling rock titan The White Stripes, he can't release a new album every few months so he's made multiple names for himself with multiple bands sea of cowards is no sterile product of endless studio tinkering at 35 minutes it's blistering and compact slab of thunderous bluesy hard rock whether it shines a spotlight on white or moss heart born out of aggression more than invention it's an appropriately barbed and con- consistently sturdy addition to White's rapidly expanding canon. So that means across the pond they were kind of drinking the Dead Weather Kool-Aid as well. It seems that way, which I'm happy about. I mean, the Dead Weather deserves some some credit here. I, although it's weird that everybody does consider it a Jack White thing. Dean Fertitta is in, in a huge rock band. Yeah. Alison Mossart, also in a huge rock band. Jack Lawrence, in many Rock bands. Another positive review from Spin, which uh, had this to say about Jack and Allison. Between Jack and Allison, there's a whole lot of id spilled out onto the garage floor. Either she's his evil twin or he's hers, but their dirty, ferocious urges are uncontainable. On the Dead Weather's second album, they harness this icy alpha dog tension in a distorted call-and-response aggression that's now greater than the sum of its parts, a rudely heavy swath of rock and roll authority. Sure. I think that's kind of a really fair assessment of the band, actually. I, they're, they're dueling front people, but it's never it never seems like unhealthy competition. It always seems earned and like it blends with one another like they elevate each other pitchforks tom brennan rated sea of cowards 7.8 out of 10 that's an extremely precise uh measuring system noting that it's heavy snarly physical rock album and it feels like the work of people so secure in their ass-kicking abilities that they don't have to sweat the details (laughs) and the bbc liked it too uh, as well as Blair Magazine, uh, who remarked that the album combines the group's sinister 
attitude with dreary funk and sex appeal. So, James, it's a modest seller, but a critical darling. And instead of people being embarrassed by this slightly, you know, gothy overtones, they seem to be embracing them and recognizing the blues and quality underneath. They're not taking it too seriously because they know that the band is a little tongue-in-cheek as well. Yeah. Uh, so, James, what do you say we rate this record? What do you say? I would love to get into the rating system. We've embraced the wonderful rating system uh, that we like to call the Cold Stone Creamery System. Do you have uh, every which is, time? <laughs> come hell or high water, they'll sponsor us, Paul. <laughs> they will. Uh, the system, <laughs> the system is rated out of three men. I thought it was rated X, James. Uh, one for we like it, two for we love it, and three for we've got to have it. That's the Cold Stone Creamery System, Paul, and it is foolproof. And, uh, you know, that's what we do. We, we rate it like that because if we rated it out of 10 or out of 5, uh, everything would be like a 4 or a 7 and above. You know, it's that kind of that kind of stuff. So we do it out of the 3. Paul, would you like to give your rating? I like this album way more than Whorehound, uh, and I actually think it's in my top jack records, uh, but that comes with some caveats. The big things about this album for me is that the highs are incredibly high, like Blue Blood Blues, Hustle and Cuss, uh, and some of the various jam breakdowns, etc. But when this one gets low, I find it just sort of grading in a similar way to Whorehound. Sometimes the tracks sound so similar, I find it hard to tell them apart. The thing starts to become one long jam, which is fine, but a 35-minute jam is a little much to swallow. It's not quite a 35-minute jam, but I, it gets, the, it feels that way sometimes. That said, there are things I don't just like, but I love on every single track. In fact, track for track, I think this is the strongest album in the Dead Weathers catalog easily by leaps and bounds. Funnily enough, even though the Strongs are individually stronger than Whorehound, Whorehound I find to have more variety than this one, and therefore I think it actually holds together more as a record than this one does. But just like in art, contrast is important. It's why when things like the jam breakdowns in I'm Mad and such happen, they stand out as so compelling. It's just that I find this record on the whole to be lacking in that regard, but overall, I do really like the songwriting and I love the instrumentation and I think it's a strong record. I have good memories of buying it at that Best Buy in Yonkers on Central Ave, and I think I would have to give this record, James, a 2.25 out of three men. Wow. Surprising. I like it. I like this record. I listen to it a lot, you know, and I think listenability really counts for something. There's a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of like, is this album better? Is that album better on like some Facebook groups I'm a part of? And I re- it comes down to listenability. Which do I put on? I will put on Blue Blood Blues. I will put on Hustle and Cuss. I will put on Invisible Man. I will put on Gasoline. Those are the thing. Those are the four tracks I sort of put on from this album. But they're pretty good four tracks. Does that mean it would have made a better EP? (laughs) I don't know. I'm happy we have it. You know, uh, I think it's an interesting experiment. I'm very happy Jack did the dead weather because I would rather have that than him sitting somewhere waiting for Meg. You know what I mean? So there you go. 2.25 out of 3. That's mine. How about you, James? Well, uh, like you, I do think this is a, a better, stronger album than Whorehound in general. I, I do disagree. I do think this is a more cohesive album than, than Whorehound was. Maybe, I, I understand your point about it being a little disjointed. Anyway, I, I do, I think it's a, a, a solid album. I do like Dodge and Burn better than this one. Really? Uh, so this is my second favorite Dead Weather album, Whorehound, uh, being underneath this one. 
yeah, this this has everything I like in a Dead Weather album. It's got theatrics. It's got the goth aggressive aesthetic. It's got the the fun dark themes. And apparently, it's all about the internet. And I, I kids know I, I love the internet. Yeah. You're, right? you're one yeah. of the kids. You know, it's got a lot that I like. It's got a lot of great songs. And I would say that this album is a, a good, it's a good length. Uh, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's 30, it's 30 some odd minute le- uh, length is actually, um, I think the best way to um, kind of frame a Dead Weather album because it's bite size. You could put this on and finish listening to it in under 45 minutes. And I think that's important for this band because it, it's not too much to take all at once. We talked to Mick Collins and he says, there's not many bands I'd like to listen to uh, for an hour straight. And this one, you definitely don't have to because it's quick, it's bite size, And even if you don't like a song, it's over before you know it and you get onto something new. Yeah. It's all got stuff that I like on it. The cons are, I wish they did push the, the themes further. It's got the, the fun, weird masks and stuff. I wish they went, I wish they went the extra mile and did what they did with like switching the spur uh, in the rack and towards like put more story into this kind of dark themed band rather than just have it be you guys jamming for extra concert material like Ringo Starr had the point. I really want to hear Jack White's version of the point with the dead wind. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I can see that. I don't yeah. Know. Well, all that being said, I, I do love the album. It's not my favorite. It, I'm going to put it a, at a nice medium two men. Out of three. Two men. Give it a, a two. Two men. All right. All right. So I think I liked it fractionally more than you, but that's uh, that's to be expected here on the Third Men Podcast. gonna both be uh, sycophants to varying degrees indeed yeah. yeah the name of the tune is cool hand lucas i got stripes on my pants and boots in prison you can learn a lesson from the analog to the hot box session this week we're back with a very special part two <clears throat> to last week's episode yes yeah, uh, we were talking about the album Consolers of the Lonely, doing our analysis and review, and we butt-scratched the surface. We haven't even gotten to the track-by-track, track, but this week, we are poised and ready, Paul. Good album. Yeah. As for reception, the, the album was nominated for Best Rock Album at the Grammys. Didn't win, just nominated, but it did win a Grammy for Best Engineered Non-Classical Album, and we have a fun quote from Brendan right here. I think you know being recognized by your peers is is a you know a great thing. I mean, I, sometimes those awards, sometimes there's too many awards. Really, I mean, it just seems silly. But uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was given to uh, Joe Ciccarelli, who uh, engineered this album. 
you would remember him for engineering uh, Frank Zappa. He did a, a whole lot of uh, different bands. He he went all over the place. Joe's a, a very well-known engineer. It was, uh, you know, relatively rel- well-received by, by most people. Pitchfork liked it. Rolling Stone liked it. Most people kind of were iffy on it they didn't they wanted uh broken boy soldiers but for instance pop matters didn't care for it at all they called it disorienting (laughs) they said that benson's turn at the mic are severely limited uh thereby inadvertently turning the raconteurs into the jack white show and uh, yeah yeah but overall it, it got pretty pretty good reviews it gained more of a cult following later on after it came out and overall pretty well received and interestingly peaked at number seven on the billboard top 100 and that is the same spot that Broken Boy Soldiers peaked at mm. back in June of 2006. So the uh, the highest position this one got was yeah number seven on uh, in April 12th of 2008. So interesting that the Raconteurs kind of hit that same level twice. Yeah, and I think that'll do it then. Aside from our rating, but re- before we get to the rating, Paul, I, I just want to uh, end with this little coda here. Um, Jack White was was talking with Interview Magazine again. Uh, th- that's like the main interview they did for this album, so I'm pulling a lot from that. But he says, in response to Blackbird Studios and, and recording this album, he says, it's hard to get that basement back, that attic, that bedroom corner, where the ideas were really first burning your skin off. You know, I'm doing it now. I'm going into the studio, and I have in my mind this four-track reel-to-reel I had in my bedroom when I f- was first writing songs. I need to think of it to get in that moment again, you know, to get back there. And they said, do you still have that four track? And Jack says, yeah, I do. And it'll be there. It'll be there. And you know what, Paul? Boarding House Reach, it was there. He got it and he used it. Anyway, uh, let's get into our our review. Let's do it. We're going to rate this album out of three. I'm going to do the explanation this time, James. When we get an album, we uh, rate it out of three. We would do it out of ten or something like that, but we tend to just sort of like what Jack does so we we rated it out of three one we liked it two we loved it and three it's a favorite of ours i'm not saying gotta Gotta have it okay three it's like a favorite like that's a it's our big and we can do halves and quarters and stuff sometimes we cheat so uh james do you want to go first and rate the album the cold stone creamery system i would love to Paul's ashamed of me every time. This episode's going long, so I don't want to go too long, and I've already explained how much I love this album before. Uh, it is my favorite Jack White album. Overtakes Icky Thump. It's got the storytelling I like. It's got Brendan Benson kind of reining in the Jack White weirdness into a perfect kind of mixture. It's got everything I like about Jack White, everything I like about Brendan Benson, plus it's the Raconteurs are just such a solid group. They kind of bounce ideas off each other in such a unique way that i don't think uh jack expresses necessarily as much in his solo or uh, white stripes material dead weather can to an extent but i feel like that's more improvised whereas this is like this has some very experienced songwriting going on and it's it's an enjoyable listen i can listen to this album and it feels fresh every time and i also i remember the panicking getting it because they announced it and two weeks later i bought it and yeah uh, listened to it in the car went what the hell is this and then i kept listening into it and it just ruined me in such a weird way so uh i suffered the bite i was stung dead <laughs> on sight uh, yeah so i'm gonna give it the highest rating we can give it it's three men wow three men three men we don't give that one out just willy-nilly well 
James, I remember how much you loved this album, and I remember, I have a fond memory of listening to this one with you in the car on the way back from Princeton Junction train station in New Jersey, and just talking about how weird and different it was, and I don't know, how taken aback we were about certain tracks, and I think I was very iffy on the whole affair, with the exception of the ti- of the title track, The Consoler of the Lonely Song. I really, really liked that one. Seeing it live turned it around a little bit for me in, in some ways, and I think, yeah, this one grew on me a little bit over time, and to the point where it has become a favorite of mine. It's almost like it's one of those albums that I feel like snobs, Jack White snobs, are really into. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching a lot of all that lately. Because it isn't an expected choice. I didn't mean to, I wasn't trying to call you a snob. No, no, it's fine. I I, I think it's easy for for this album to be picked for that because there's a lot of little bits to, to like about it, but it is also an off-the-beaten-path record. All that said, there's some of my favorite Jack songs are on here. Well, my f- one of my favorite, all-time favorite Jack songs is on here, and that alone propels it forward, and I really do like Old Enough, and I really do, now that I, I'm so amazed that I just, like, forgot about Stones Will Shout, <laughs> but, like, that one in Many Shades of Black, the highlights are so high on this album for me, and the, and the, the, the mediocre parts are, it feels a little bit like wading through a swamp, but that said, I'm gonna give this one a Two out of three men. A solid, Ooh. let's call it a solid two. All right. I don't know if we've ever gone below a two in one of these things. Ooh, I think we did with Dead Weather. Yeah, maybe I'm saying like a strong 1.75 and a, and a soft two. How about that? Oh man, Paul, you're doing me a you're doing me a, a heckin' scare. <laughs> I like it. I mean, whatever. Like. <laughs> I, I like the album. I, there's aspects aspects of it that I love, and I'm so happy we got that vault reissue. The vault reissue was awesome. Which I'm fondling right now. Yeah, well, sign me up. I wasn't trying to call I, people who like this album snobs. <laughs> I'm just saying it'd be easy for a Jack White snob to love this album. And saying. it is, and I am one uh, for sure. I'm paying for what should be free. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
Another hot dog? You're ridiculous. I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages. That's Facebook.com slash Yesterday and Today Podcast or Facebook.com slash Third Men. Or you could head to Society6.com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's Society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me. Thank you.